Jerry O'Hanlon, you are a Jesuit theologian. You've been working in the Jesuit Centre for Faith and Justice for a number of years. Your reaction to the election of Donald Trump as President of the United States of America? Yeah, we're recording this patch just a few hours after the news came through and my personal reaction was one of dismay, I have to say. But then stepping back to, to think about it, I do think it's important just going to the Jesuit thing of discernment. What, what can we read, if you like, from this election and what it means, uh, no more than what happened in Britain with the Brexit. And it seems to me that we'd be very silly just to be reactive about it in the sense of um, my dismay has to translate itself into something a bit different. And it seems to me that it's saying something about a deep dissatisfaction, which is very prevalent now, particularly in Western civilization. So in all our great so-called capitalist countries, if you like, the United States and Britain. We can see it manifesting itself in France and Germany and in Ireland itself. Again, just looking at Ireland, it's a much less sharply defined situation, if you like. But the fact that in this year, 2016, 100 years after the rising, we can have people sleeping homeless on the streets of Dublin is a real cry, if you like, that something is wrong. So I do think that, as, as well as the dismay, there's something deeper going on here that we have to look at. And I suppose what you're alluding to there is that part of that deeper issue are people who feel totally excluded from any sense of power, from any sense of control over their lives, and that those lives are quite impoverished. That's right. And I suppose what's very apparent is the disconnect between those people and, if you like, the establishment or the elites. It's not to say that the establishment doesn't have good things to say and a lot of expertise and so on, but they're just not believed anymore because of that disconnect. And I think one of the voices to articulate that most persuasively in a positive way, I don't think Donald Trump up to now certainly has done that. But one of the voices to articulate that is the Pope, Pope Francis, in, in his different writings and in his way of conducting himself. He's been very clear that the way the world is organised at the moment is in favour, if you like, of the rich. So he says no to an economy of exclusion, no to inequality. He's very clear about the effects of global warming and the need to, to re-look, if you like, at our economic model. Our own president, Michael D. Higgins, has, has done great work in that respect as well, trying to alert us all. And I think for the most part, our establishment, including the academic establishment and the media, we try to satisfy ourselves with tinkering about the edges. And maybe this is a real wake up call that the model is broken, that the economic model is broken. And we have to be a lot more daring and radical and imaginative in a constructive way. So I think the model has been built on the whole, the whole liberal idea, which is fo focused on the individual. And we really need to look at the common good more, the idea of society, the way we can be together, the dignity of each person. And that kind of a model isn't apparent in the capitalism. It is very much the survival of the fittest at the moment. And people who don't survive feel very angry. And that's manifesting itself. And yet the irony of that is that people like Donald Trump, when he is talking, he is talking about uniting everybody under the banner of 
the United States of America. And he said that very much in his acceptance speech. Mm -hmm. And also you had that in the Brexit, like, let's get back to mm -hmm. Britain the way it was, you know, mm -hmm. a harking back to some kind of time when everybody was one mm -hmm. and unified. Mm -hmm. The flip side of that being the exclusion then of other people rather than a genuine mm -hmm understanding of the common good that does include everybody mm -hmm. it tends to become exclusive mm -hmm. for some mm -hmm. reason mm -hmm. and people mm -hmm. go along with that and vote for it mm -hmm. yeah and i do think catholic social teaching at its best it talks about a civilization of love and globalization in, in terms of um everybody having a part and I, I i agree with you i think that the way trump up to now has articulated he's articulated the anger well but he, his solution doesn't seem at all in line with what one would hope for so it, it just is, it's increased isolationism and it's it's unlikely in its present form to lead to something constructive so but there is then the task of visionary people coming forward. I think that's what we're lacking at the moment. It was there, for example, in the European Union back in the late 50s when they gathered together and they had a vision of the future. And as late as Jacques Delors in the late 80s, 90s, that vision was still alive. But I get a bit dismayed at the European Union as well. I'm for it. I, I think it is, is a great concept. And I think it's done great good. But you get a sense of a complacency there and an elite which is out of touch with um, the sufferings of a lot of people and an inability to respond constructively to that. And it seems to me that that's what's being asked of us. If, we, if we're looking at it in a discerning kind of way, we're really being told, look, there are people suffering. There are people in the streets of Dublin and streets of Ireland sleeping out. That should not happen in this day and age. And that's the way we've organised and we've organised our society in such a way that whether it's guards or nurses or young professionals, they can't afford housing. And that's strange given the situation we're in and what are we doing about it? So it seems to me there's a real wake-up call there to all of us, but to politicians as well, to take on board this challenge more seriously than we have been doing. Yeah, and it strikes me in mm. regard to what you're saying, if you take the issue, I heard Sarah Palin on there being interviewed. Mm. She was comparing it to Brexit and saying, this is wonderful. I knew it would spread across the pond. I'm delighted. And then went on to say in nearly the same breath, we must protect our security. We must have borders. We must have friendly relationships with those on our borders, but we must effectively isolate. And that was something that Pope Francis was critical of Donald Trump while not using his name when he talked about this famous building of the wall mm -hmm. um, and <clears throat> keeping the Mexicans out. Because, of course, you know, when we start to do that, then we divide people up into different categories mm -hmm. and they become displaced mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. talk of sending people home and keeping people out. Mm -hmm. And Francis has been very clear about that as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think Francis used the phrase that we need to build bridges and not build walls. So it was that idea that to, to include everyone. And I do think that people probably sensed with Hillary Clinton, I mean, it's a terrible dilemma for her, I think, you know, in the sense that she fought the good fight. And, but they probably sensed that not much was going to change, whereas people are crying out for change. But I do think that what, what you're saying is correct, that the danger is that the change that would occur would take a nasty turn and would become very 
isolationist, defensive, hating the other. Whereas what we need is something that is very akin to the kind of principles that are laid out in Catholic social teaching, like the common good, like solidarity, like option for the poor. I mean, I think in one sense, rhetorically, Trump has made an option for the poor in the sense that he's identified with those who are without jobs or who are bewildered. But it it's probably... To me, anyway, very unconvincing that he has any solutions along those lines. But somebody has to get find solutions and we have to find solutions too. And similarly to the whole threat, if you like, that is perceived to come from Islam. I mean, there's one strand of Islam which is jihadist and which is very fundamentalist. Many, many Muslims are not in that strand. And again, we have to be a lot more understanding of what's going on and a lot more in tune with the sort of reformation which is going on within Islam. And we have to learn the skills to that. And I think our own, even in Ireland, and maybe particularly in Ireland, our inability to talk about religion in the public square, to talk about how religion functions, but to want to just relegate it to the private is not going to serve as well in the dialogue with Islam, among others. So that, that's, it's, it's an unintentional side effect, if you like, of sidelining religion, that we're not really in a position to understand it and to engage with it in a constructive kind of way. And I would like to see the voice of uh, religion, Christianity, but other religions as well, combined with the voice of secularists who want human flourishing and a much more constructive alliance between the two rather than this Punch and Judy show of just caricaturing one another and dismissing one another's opinion. It's very important what you're saying, I think, because I am reminded of the time that the Pope visited, Pope Francis went to America Mm. and addressed the houses there and was quite critical and trenchant in his analysis of capitalism, really, Mm. uh, through the eyes of Catholic social teaching. Very little reporting of it here in Ireland. Very little coverage. You talked about the Adner Mm. and the people who founded the EU. Mm. Where are we hearing that kind of voice? Do Mm. you think, are you Mm. saying really we're not? And Mm. the Pope is fairly Mm. isolated, maybe Mm. with a a few others. Maybe Mm. Bernie Saunders would have been one of those voices, Mm. but Mm. at least he was saying something, offering something alternative and Mm. didn't get Mm. a chance to do that. Are Mm. are you hopeful at all that those Mm. voices are coming forward? I don't I'd see very many of them at the moment, um, but I do think that one of the things that the church can do, so again, the, the Jesuits can help towards that, and particularly within the Irish context, is to create the kind of space where that can happen. And I'd be a little disappointed with the response of our own church and here in Ireland and the the bishops in particular, to the invitation of Francis to imagine a more inclusive church, a more synodal church, a collegial church, where people get together and talk about issues, pray about them, get input from theologians and other experts and formulate policy and mission as they go along together. And sometimes the bishops will give the lead there. Sometimes the bishops will walk with the people, as Francis says, and sometimes the bishops will follow along behind them because the people will be ahead. Now, I'd love to see a greater engagement of the church in Ireland. I do think that there are some interesting things being said, but very often they're said from the top desk, if you like, and just in in speeches. And I don't see that attempt to engage people and to really tap into the rich resources that are there. And I think the church isn't very credible as long as it behaves out of this very hierarchical, monarchical model at a time when 
society is much more conscious of something that's a lot more horizontal and um, inclusive and participative. So I think that there's a real task ahead of the church there and to be able to engage among its own members, but also with society. Uh, and I, I think we as Jesuits and uh, others in the Irish church can help to persuade towards that and to work towards that. And it's really, I mean, the church, the Pope has said it very clearly, he wants the church of this millennium to be a synodal church, a church where people take their own part and where the sense of the faithful and where the voices of the poor are heard. And you couldn't really say that that's so yet in Ireland. And that kind of leadership maybe is what is needed for all around mm. if we are going to avoid seeing the kind of triumph that we saw in, in America at, at a very high price, given what Donald Trump is saying. And I'm thinking of people who, during this election, we've heard of certain sections of the Catholic people saying they wouldn't vote for Hillary Clinton because of her stand on abortion. Mm. And yet it seemed OK that everything else Donald Trump said about women, Latinos, mm. black mm. people building walls, that mm. somehow that didn't matter as long as you weren't pro-abortion. Mm. And of course, we know Trump changed his position on that anyway. Mm. I suppose what I'm wondering is how do you tackle that kind of response that people have where, as you say, there are real issues that mm -hmm. are to be addressed. Mm -hmm. And yet when people go to respond to them, it's not in the way you're talking about. It's mm. it's in a way that allows for mm. really the kind of rhetoric that was abhorrent mm. to many good people, mm -hmm. even Republicans, mm. that Donald Trump came out with and yet mm. still saw him becoming the pre like one mm. of the most influential men mm. in the world. Yeah, I think it's been one of the very sad features of the debate, the presidential debate, but also I'd say debate within Europe at the moment, just that coarsening of debate. It's probably not been helped by the misuse of social media, if you like, where sound bites and, and, and more insulting kind of comment is um, more taken for granted or more permissible. But I do think that it again it means a challenge to people who think differently to try to create a more civil discourse. Mm -hmm. And to do so, I mean, I think that's the Christ-like thing. You do so bravely and assertively, but not thinking you're always going to win. And, and for long periods, you may not win, but just keep being civilized, keep being civil, keep trying to present arguments in, in a calm kind of way. I think that's terribly important because otherwise the tone does get very strident and has got very strident. And I do think then with regard to what the church particularly can do, I mean, I've been very uh, influenced myself in my own life as a Jesuit in different assemblies, particularly of Jesuits, of province congregations or general congregations where there is that attempt to listen to another. And very often we disagree very radically with one another. But put people together over, in the right circumstances, over a longer period of time, pray a little, get them to reflect and so on. And you can see a group moving. You can see perceptibly a group moving. Now, that's not easily replicated in wider society. And yet there are elements of that which are. And Brian Grogan has done very good stuff on group discernment applied to civil bodies as well. And I do think that's one of the ways forward and particularly a way that, that we as Jesuits and our associates can work for, that we can create spaces where that kind 
kind of discourse is possible and people can listen to one another without caricaturing one another or writing one another off in a stereotypical kind of way. I mean, it's not that there's any magic solution. Human beings argue with one another and groups argue with one another and it can be very conflictual in, in, in the short term. But I think over a, a longer period of time, if you get the right conditions in place, there can be movement in, in a good way. I've just finished reading Robert Harris's book, Conclave, talking about the imagined election of a pope and he it's full of politics and so on. And I think any gathering of human beings is full of politics. But you can do politics in, in a way which is more constructive, I think. And I do think that certainly the Jesuit experience that, that I've had has been good that way, that it's, we don't always get it right, but there is a respect for what's happening. And I suppose a respect for the fact that ultimately we believe that God is acting in this world, that the Holy Spirit is acting, and that we're trying to cotton on, if you like, to the traces of God and, and the, the rhythm of the Holy Spirit. And it's not just our own work and not even more importantly our own work. I think that is a perspective which obviously secular people won't agree with all the time but nonetheless just that listening for the spirit in in a good sense I think can be applied more widely than just to religious people and people know when they're doing violence to others and when they're not allowing truth to emerge people grasp that whether they believe in God or not. Yeah, maybe that's why they don't tell the pollsters what way they're going to vote and we all get a huge surprise when it mm. comes out. Finally, uh, a friend of mine sent a text early this morning, feminist, Catholic woman, very upset and said, listed the Farages, the, mm. the Trumps, the, mm. the people that are worrying the Le Pens, the whole lot. And then she said, and where are the prophets? Basically, mm. that's what you're calling for. Mm. The prophets mm. have to speak in church, mm. in Jesuits and in mm. ordinary life. Mm. Absolutely. And I mean, it is a time, as they say, that that was my first reaction to the election was one of dismay, I have to say. But the second reaction was, what is happening here? And can we call it in a way that brings about real change? And I think we need the voices of prophets for that. People who are willing to call for radical change and not just tinkering. We're entering into a period, it seems to me, where we need a lot of hard thinking and visionaries who can put words on what we're grappling with at the moment, which is very concerning. And I think one of the ones who's been doing that since he came into office has been Pope Francis. I think he's been excellent. He's tapped into something that obviously has resonance much wider than just the Catholic Church or much much wider than people of faith. And I know my own brother lives over in England and who's given up on the church for a long time suddenly finds himself, his favourite newspaper is the Guardian newspaper and suddenly the Pope is the Guardian newspaper hero and he kind of doesn't know where to go with that. And I think it's a good parable, if you like, for what's happening to, to many people that we need to look to to signs of hope and to spokesperson, men or women, uh, coming from whatever background. And uh, I think we're very blessed at the moment to have a, such a spokesman in Pope Francis.